You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray today that this wouldn't be my thoughts or my ideas or um, my words, but it would be your word. Lord, that it would everything that I say would rightly submit to what you say in your word. And that as we walk away today, that we would allow your word to weigh on us, to shape us, to mold us more into the image of Jesus. And God, fill me with your spirit. Fill all of us here with your spirit that we'd be able to understand your word and apply it. And Lord, again, I ask if there's someone here that maybe has not ever called out to you as Savior, that today they would, they would get that taken care of. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So today on Sunday morning, we gather to celebrate the gospel. That's why we gather every week. And it's the good news that Jesus took our sin, um, that he died for it, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose from the dead to reconcile us to God. That's what it's all about, to bring us to God. And we celebrate that by lifting up our hearts to Jesus in our songs. We celebrate that by encouraging one another, building one another up, and helping one another. It's just good to see you all. It's good to hear from you. It's good to hear how your week's going and know what I can pray for when I talk to you. And, and, and we, we celebrate that way. We also celebrate by allowing God's word to weigh on us and asking God to use it to shape us into the image of Jesus and to stir up our affections for Jesus. And, and all those things are really somewhat ordinary means that God uses to stir up our hearts for him. And, and, and once a week we get to come in and we get to hear his word. We get to sing his praises. We get to be with his people. And, and it shapes us and empowers us to live for him during the week. And so we're celebrating the gospel today. And one of the stories that we're going to look at today, these story, um, there are a few stories that I think illustrate um, the beauty of the gospel as much as this one does. Um, because what you're going to see is you're going to see Jesus dealing with an outcast, um, someone that is in blatant, obvious public sin. And we're going to see one of the most gracious responses we'll ever see. It's a familiar story. I'm sure you've heard it before or read it before. I've preached on it before, actually. Um, but we're just going to walk through John 8, 1 through 11, and then we'll draw um, a few applications afterwards. So if you look at verse 1, it says this, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, I got to pause here because you got to picture this, right? Jesus is sitting. He's teaching people um, probably about the kingdom of God and different themes that he covers a lot in his other teachings. And he's teaching. And all of a sudden, this angry mob of Pharisees um, and scribes bring this woman and throw her down in front of Jesus and says, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, there's two things that kind of make my mind wonder. First of all, how did they catch her in the act? Like, you don't normally stumble upon someone committing adultery on your way to the grocery store, right? Like, it seems like this was a trap. It seems like this was something that they had set up, and they were just waiting for her to go um, and to start this act. And, and not only that, the second question that pops in my head is, where's the man? Right? Like, it, it takes two to tango here, right? Like, you, you don't commit adultery by yourself. So where is the man? And so I'm starting to wonder as I'm studying this, did the Pharisees get a guy 
and say, hey, go here and try to get this woman to come and commit adultery with you. And before she was starting it, they grabbed her and bring her to Jesus. I don't know exactly what's happening here, but it should make you kind of question, right? Sometimes we, we just read the Bible and we don't ask questions. We don't get in there. We don't think about it. But this is a pretty crazy situation. Jesus is teaching. People are probably like just so excited to hear what he's saying. And all of a sudden there's this big mob of Pharisees and scribes and they throw this woman down. So that's what's going on. And look at verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. So they were trying to put Jesus in a tough position here. Okay, They, they weren't really that worried about the law. They, they really just wanted to catch Jesus up. Like if he, if he doesn't let her get stoned here, and we're talking about throwing rocks for you young people, right? Not the, the stone that we talk about today, right? If Jesus doesn't allow her to get stoned here publicly, then he's disobeying the law. And if he disobeys the law, then he's disobeying God. That's not good. But if he lets him kill her, like that's pretty extreme too. Now the public's going to look at Jesus like this crazy guy who's just wanting everybody to die and get hit with stones. So he's in a tough spot here. But Jesus is like such a boss. Like when I study the Gospels, I'm like, Jesus, like you are so cool. Like he's not just God. He's, he's really cool. Okay. Um, and look at the rest of the verse. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Try that next time your boss is talking to you about something. Like, hey, I need to talk to you. And you just kind of get down and just start drawing in the sand. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that. But Jesus can pull this off, okay, without, without sinning. Um, we probably couldn't, but that would be kind of cool. Like, oh, didn't even hear you. Sorry. Um, verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So he's like, I'm going to go back to writing on the ground. Now, we don't know what he wrote. Uh, we we kind of want to know. We wrestle with it. People are like, what did Jesus write? Let's spend hours talking about what Jesus wrote instead of getting the meaning of the story. Um, but there are a few interesting um, ideas. Um, some have said that he was writing the names of the men in the crowd with some of their sins underneath. I don't know. Um, that would be pretty hardcore. But some have said that he was writing the Ten Commandments out. Just writing the Ten Commandments because the word wrote on the ground is a, a very similar word that the Septuagint used when God wrote on the tablets um, and he gave them to Moses. So could be he was writing on the ground the Ten Commandments, which would cause a few guilt and, and conviction as you read those. But he's writing on the ground and he says, okay, you want the law. Here's the law. If he who has no sin, you, you go ahead and start the process. And he starts writing again in verse 9. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What an awesome story. I mean, what a beautiful picture of the gospel. Because as we examine the story, I really want you to picture this, and I want you to put yourself in the woman's shoes. Okay, this woman is guilty. It may have been a trap. It may not have been. We don't know for sure, but she's guilty. And so you don't, don't miss that. Don't gloss over it. She was an adulterer. She was guilty, and Jesus didn't condone her sin, and he didn't simply overlook her sin. Okay, she's guilty. 
She's caught in the very act. This angry mob of scribes and Pharisees drag her. They throw her down in front of Jesus and they say, we should stone her. That's what the law says to do. So I, I want you to picture this. The law says she deserves to be stoned for this. This was the just thing to do in this situation. This is what she deserves according to the law. So you have to think about what is going through the woman's mind while this is taking place. She's a real person. She's just been brought by an angry mom of men and thrown before Jesus. And they're basically saying, should we kill her or not? Imagine the the fear that's going through her mind right now. I mean, she's probably terrified. She's probably crouching on the ground in front of Jesus. and, And she's probably shaking with fear as tears stream down her face. Like she might get killed here. Her life might be over. This angry mob surrounding her. Some of them probably already have stones in their hands, just ready to bring down the law. And Jesus is standing there, and what does he do? He stoops down. I can just kind of picture him stooping down next to the woman. I can kind of see him glancing over and and giving her a look of love, a look from a man that she hasn't received in years. And I wonder if this maybe calms her as he looks at her. And then he starts to write in the sand. And she's probably wondering what... What's he going to say? Like her fate is in his hands at this point. They have just put the ball in his court and said, what do we do, Jesus? And she's sitting there probably shaking, probably sobbing. I mean, literally might die in this moment. Then in one simple statement, he saves this woman's life. He says, okay, you want the law? Fine. We'll do the law. Whoever doesn't have any sin, why don't you start? Why don't you cast the first stone? And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they walk away. Why? Well, verse 9 says they were guilty. They were convicted by their own conscience. Now, what would you do if you were in this situation and you were in that mob and you were convicted of your sin there? See, think about that for a minute. We, we can't even keep our own standards, right? Let alone God's. Like, let's do a New Year's resolution and then... Let's try to start it over again in February and let's try to start it and then we just give up, right? Like we, we set standards for ourselves that we can't keep, let alone God's standards. So let's just take a few of the Ten Commandments. Let's say just for fun that maybe Jesus wrote down the Ten Commandments and let's kind of use those to kind of test how we would do in this situation, okay? So we were in the woman's shoes, now put yourself in the crowd's shoes, okay? You shall have no other gods before me. Have you ever put any, anything above God in your life? Maybe prize something a little too much or, or put something a, a little more emphasis on that than God or maybe a person? How about um, honor your father and your mother? Have we always honored our father and our mother? Probably not, right? Like um, there's, there's a difference between obeying and honoring. My dad always used the, the illustration of when you take out the trash, you can obey. He can say, take out the trash and you can take out the trash and you can stop your feet the whole way down and throw it in the trash and that's obedience that's not honoring so do we always perfectly honor our parents probably not verse six you shall not murder you're like okay i'm good pastor i didn't i didn't do that but remember jesus he said if you hate someone in your heart then then you're murdering him what about you shall not commit adultery again hopefully that's none of us here but Jesus, again, sets the standard higher. And he says, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your own heart. You shall not steal. You ever stole something? 
well, my workplace won't really, you know, they won't care if I take a few pens for the home. Yeah, like we're, we're just very callous about some of our own standards and, and God's standards as well. Okay, what about this? Um, you shall not bear false witness. You ever lied about something that not told the entire truth? Maybe you're thinking, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm doing pretty good. But Paul, the apostle said, this is the one that got him. You shall not covet. Don't look at something else and say, man, I really wish I had that. And I think that kind of makes us all guilty right there. So you're in the crowd and Jesus, maybe, I don't know, maybe he's writing out the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments are pretty condemning. And they're not that hard. Like if people would obey the Ten Commandments, you would think like, okay, this this would be a pretty good society. But they, they don't seem that hard when you read them. But to live that out is extremely difficult and really impossible. And so one by one, the oldest to the youngest, they walk away. Now, you might wonder, why, why the oldest? Well, I think because they knew after years of experience that they definitely were guilty. They definitely had sin. And wisdom says, yeah, okay, that's not me. And they walk away. So, so go back to the woman here. You're standing in Jesus' presence. You're, you're guilty. You're convicted. You're the woman and them. They're guilty and convicted. Now, now which side are you going to fall on? Because the Pharisees, they decide to walk away. And for me, that's one of the saddest parts of the story because you see, Jesus would have gladly forgiven the Pharisees and scribes for their sin as well. That's the heart of our Savior. We know that about Him. But rather than staying and facing the reality of their sin and seeking forgiveness, they walk away. One by one. How many people do that today? They know they're guilty. They know they don't meet God's standards. They know that if there really is a God and if there really is a judgment and they have to stand before Him one day, then then they know that they're in trouble. But man, that makes me uncomfortable. That makes me nervous. And and so I'm just going to walk away. I don't know how many people I've tried to to talk to about the gospel over the years and try to share with them that that they can be saved. And then they don't like talking about that. I don't really want to think about death. I don't want to think about judgment. And they walked away. But the woman, she stayed. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in front of this angry mob with stones that are about to kill me, and this guy says something and they start leaving, like I'm looking for the first way out and I'm bolting, right? Like, like I'm out of here, okay? I, I, he just saved my life, but I don't have time and I got to get out of here. But she stays. Why did she stay? And, and while they left, why, why did she stay? I think the reason she stayed is because she had just experienced grace and she stayed to seek forgiveness. She saw in Jesus something different than she had ever seen before. And she had to stay. She had to stay and seek his forgiveness. And so Jesus looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? Can you imagine the, the, the emotions that she's going through right now? Like she, she just was there thinking, I might die here. And now they're all gone. And he says, where's, where's your accusers? And she says, they're, they're gone. They're gone, Lord. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, how, how could he do this? How, how could he do this? How, wasn't he God? Like, wasn't he perfectly just? Didn't he have to bring down the law? Didn't he have to fulfill it? Didn't someone have to die here? They were guilty. The law says they die. How is he able to just let her go and, and say, okay, I don't condemn you either. He didn't have any sin. Like the one person that could have grabbed a stone and, and stoned her with it, didn't. Why is that? 
I love what one preacher says. He says, you know what Jesus knew as he kneeled there? I believe this with all my heart. When he said to that woman, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know what he knew in his heart? That divine heart? He knew full well that he would die on the cross for her adultery. He knew that. That was the only way. The only reason he could give her forgiveness was because he would bear it in his own body on the cross. It's the only way, and he knew it. In Romans 3, verses 23 through 26, the Apostle Paul kind of wrestles with this. You you always hear that, well, God's a loving God, and he's just going to let us off, and everything will be fine, but they never wrestle with, well, God's a just God. And if we're in a courtroom, and the judge has a murderer in front of him, and that murderer is guilty, and there's evidence that he's guilty, and the murderer is standing there, and the judge says, well, he's guilty, he deserves the death penalty, or he deserves life in in prison, but I'm just a really loving judge, and so I'm going to let him off. We would be outraged. This man is guilty. We would be outraged. But why do we expect a perfectly just judge, God, to just write off sin, to just let it go on rampantly? Why, why would we, we expect that? Expect that? Why, why do we think we're just going to be fine? Oh, God's just going to let it go. Like, that's a pretty arrogant place to be in when we demand justice of our fellow man. Right? That guy cut me off, and so I'm going to cut him off, and I'm going to slam the brakes and make sure he hits me, and whatever. Like you, we demand justice between people, but we're like, oh, God, he'll, he'll let us off. He's a loving God. But Paul wrestles with this in Romans 3 because he's like, how could God be just and, and forgive the guilty? How is this possible? And I love how he says it. He says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So all of us are sinners, all of us are guilty, all of us deserve condemnation. But then he says, we've been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, a few verses later, he says, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, his justice, his rightness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So if you go back to that courtroom situation and God is the judge and you're on trial and you're guilty, you know what God did? He took his robes off. He came down where you were and he took your penalty on himself and he paid for it fully on the cross. So that now those who place their faith in Jesus can be justified, declared righteous, no longer guilty, no longer condemned. And God is just because he upheld the law. This woman deserved to die, but he died for her. So he upheld the law, but he's also the justifier. He can let this woman off free and he can let us off free and not be an unjust judge. That's what's so incredible about the gospel. So when people say, how how could God let sinners off the hook? He doesn't. He takes their sin and he pays for it completely on the cross, absorbs his wrath in his own body on the cross for us. And so Jesus looks at this woman and he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Because he knew he was going to pay for her sins on the cross. Beautiful, beautiful truth. And this is what I want you to understand today. This is what's so amazing about this story is that we'll often miss it. Because we we see this woman and we're like, wow, she got off. Like, woo, that was a close one. But what we don't often see is that we are the woman in the story. When we stood guilty and condemned, surrounded by the punishment that we rightly deserved, Jesus took our punishment. Jesus died for your sins, no matter how bad they are. Now, sometimes I talk to people and they're like, I don't think God could forgive me after all I've done, but God took your sin to the cross and paid for it. 
And he's willing to forgive your adultery. He's willing to forgive your lies. He's willing to forgive your curses against his own name. He's willing to forgive your injustice in this life. He's willing to forgive the foul thoughts and deeds and words that come out of us. He's willing to forgive every sin that we've ever committed because of what he did on the cross to pay for it completely. And if you're here today and you've never received his forgiveness, come to him today and hear him say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What an amazing gift. What an amazing savior. Like we are the woman. We deserve death. We deserve judgment. But he took our judgment for us so that he could say to us in the most loving of ways, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So I want to challenge you today, if you've never trusted Christ, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to call out to Jesus, to repent and to believe on Him alone as the full and final payment for our sins. That's the gospel. That's Christianity, that he, He died for you. He really died for you. He really was buried. And that three days later, He really rose from the dead bodily. And that if we'll trust Him, He'll save us from all of our sins. We'll be declared righteous, no longer guilty, perfectly just in God's presence. That's the gospel. And this is what I want us to understand today. If you are here today and you have received that forgiveness, when we stood condemned, Jesus set us free. That's the message for you to get a hold of today. Write it down somewhere. Think about it. Memorize it. When we stood condemned, we were the woman. We were guilty. We were surrounded by judgment. That's all we had coming for us. When we were condemned, standing there, guilty, Jesus set us free. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation, no more guilt, no more shame, no more trying to gain God's approval. God looks at us, united to His Son Jesus, and He sees us as perfect. So if this is true, if we were guilty, and if we deserve judgment, if we deserve condemnation... But Jesus set us free, then how should this change our lives? Like, what kind of life should this woman go on living after this? What kind of life should we go on living after this? When when Jesus says to us, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. What do our lives look like after this? That's what I was wrestling with as I read through this. Like, how does this affect our lives? When we realize that when we stood condemned, Jesus set us free. How does that change us? And the way I want to kind of wrestle with that is just asking three quick questions. And so we're going to ask those questions and we'll be done. First of all, what should our lives be characterized by? If it's true that we were guilty and he set us free, what should our lives look like now? And as I was thinking about that, the first thing that popped in my head was the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, or self-control. So so what should our lives look like? Don't you think that after being completely guilty and set free, don't you think that there should be love in our lives? Love for God and one another. Wouldn't you say that there would be joy? I mean, just overwhelming joy if we wake up every day knowing we're no longer guilty? Like, who can condemn us? God has set us free. What kind of joy should we have as Christians if this is true? Peace. Man, no matter what happens in this life, we have peace with God, and so there should be peace in our lives. Long-suffering. 
patience, bearing with other people when, when they're annoying and they, and they bother us and we're, oh man, it can be so frustrating. Remember how God treated us. He forgave us. He took our sins. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. These are the things that should characterize those who stood condemned but are now free. Like, like we should just live this out naturally when we realize our standing before God. Second question. Where should we go when we fall into sin? If it's true that the first time you heard the gospel, you came to Jesus and he forgave you of all your sin and he reconciled you to God, then why is it when we sin now, we feel like we've got to just roll around in our shame and guilt? Man, I talk to so many Christians that they, they, they feel like they're far away from God because they have this sin in their life and they're like, I just couldn't talk to him. I couldn't go to him because I'm so dirty. I have so much sin. And the answer to this question, where do we go when we sin, is right back to Jesus. Right back to the one who can look at us and say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And here's a test for you. You know you're growing in your understanding of the gospel is when you sin, you run to Jesus instead of away from him. So many Christians, they went to Jesus the first time, but then when they sin after that, they feel like, oh, I can't go to him. I, I sinned. But he says, no, come repent and believe again that his blood really does cleanse you from all your sin past present and future it's going back to the gospel when you sin and here's what will happen in your life is when you sin and you immediately run to christ and you lay that sin before him and you say god i'm sorry i know i've been forgiven of all my sin but i still struggle with this and it's a constant battle but you go to him and you you lay that before him you'll find a grace and a love and a peace from him that you couldn't get anywhere else And you'll go on and you'll say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to sin anymore. And you'll be growing in the gospel because you'll be running to Jesus instead of away from him. See, repentance and faith makes you a Christian. You you repent and you believe the gospel and you become a Christian. But repentance and faith is also the characteristics of a Christian life. It's continually going back to the gospel. Continually going back to, to the grace where we stand presently. Not to be saved again. We've been forgiven, but to step into our privilege as sons and daughters and to receive that forgiveness. So where do we go when we fall into sin now as Christians? We go right back to Jesus. And we hear him say again, again, and again, and again, and again, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Man, that's, that's crazy forgiveness. Right? Like you, you sin against your coworker once, okay, maybe they'll forgive you. Do it again and again and again. Like they're going to run out of patience. But God, over and over and over, and when I look back at my life and I sin over and over and over again, and I go back again and again and again, He always says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You're forgiven. I paid for it on the cross. It's an amazing truth. So amazing that when people heard Paul teach on it, you know what they said? They said, well, let's just continue in sin, that grace would abound. And he said, may it never be. Why, why are we that are dead to sin continue in a life like that? And see, what, what seems crazy is, well, if that's true, if he'll always forgive me, then I'm just going to live a life that I want to live. But as you experience that grace, you don't want to. Your desires change. Your heart starts to change as you go to him again and again and for forgiveness. And he forgives you again and again. So we go back to him when we fall into sin. Third question. How should we treat others who are condemned? This one's, this one's so important that we get because so many Christians, when we 
are Christians long enough, we forget who we were apart from Christ. And so you know what we start doing? As, as we start to look down at others with this self-righteous, prideful attitude, and we look down our noses at people, and we're just like, why can't they get their acts together? It's like we expect unbelievers to act like believers. Like, I'm just appalled by it when I'm, when I'm reading through news feeds, and I see Christians complaining about how non-Christians are acting. And I'm like, they're not Christians. Like, why, why are you expecting them to act like Christians? But in, instead of being the people that go to them and that put their arm around them and say, Jesus won't condemn you, you can be freed, we look down at them with condemnation, with self-righteousness, with pride. Like, who are we? We're, we're guilty rebels that have been set free. That's who we are. So we are the ones that go to the sinner to put our arms around them and say, you can be freed by Jesus. We don't look down at people. We don't expect them to get their act together. Jesus didn't say, okay, go do this, this, and this, and maybe if you're lucky, I'll forgive you. No, no, no. The forgiveness came first. And then the command. See, before a person becomes a Christian, they they aren't going to be able to live like a Christian. They don't have the spirit. So we, those who have been set free who were guilty, we treat others who are still guilty with love. We look at them like no one else would look at them. We serve them like no one else would serve them. We put our arm around them when no one else would. And we tell them what Jesus did for them on the cross. Man, how would that change Port Austin or the place you work or the place you live or your neighborhood if you treated people like Jesus treated this woman in the story? They would just be appalled. Like, why are you like this? Well, here's the thing. I was a guilty rebel and I've been forgiven and set free. And so now, because of that, I want to be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. I want to forgive just as Christ forgave me. That's, That's why I treat people the way I treat people. So as we think about all of this and we close, I want you to hear that phrase again. I want you to to, to stand in there and and hear it and rejoice in it. When we stood condemned, Jesus set us free. Rejoice in this today. Rejoice in this today. You have peace with God, right? You have peace with God because he said, you're righteous. You've trusted my son, Jesus. You're righteous. That's an amazing reality. I love, and I've shared this before with you, but I love how Scotty Smith puts this. He says, wake up, dear friends, and live today in the knee-buckling knowledge that God loves you as much as Jesus, and there is nothing that you can do about it. Abide in it and live out of such a glorious standing in grace. What a gift. We were the woman. We were guilty. We were surrounded by judgment and condemnation. And Jesus looked at us and he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What an amazing reality for us. Speak that to yourselves all day today. When we stood condemned, Jesus set us free. When you wake up tomorrow and and, and you feel like the the whole world is caving in and you don't want to go to work, you don't want to deal with anything today, it's it's just a terrible day, stop, pause, and think about the fact that when you stood condemned, Jesus set you free. Now what kind of life do we live in the reality of that truth? It's grace. It's amazing grace. When we stood condemned, Jesus set us free.
No doubt there, there are some here today. I don't know your hearts, but there are some here today that maybe have not yet received Christ's forgiveness. They still stand condemned. Can I plead with you to come to Jesus today? Come to Jesus. Call out to him to save you. There's, there's no reason to wait. You've, you've heard the gospel. You've seen how he deals with sinners. Who wouldn't want to go to a God like that? Who wouldn't want to? Come to him today. Call out to him. Jesus said that if you'll come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. Come to Jesus today and be saved. And then rejoice with us in this truth that when we stood condemned, Jesus set us free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story. God, I can't help but think we are the woman. God, we are the person who stood guilty, surrounded by judgment. We, we deserve that from you. We deserve nothing but wrath and judgment. God, you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. Lord, I just, I just ask that you would just plant that into our hearts and minds because we're so prone to forget. We get so frustrated by the small little things of this life and we forget about the reality that we stand in a relationship with the creator of the world. And it's all because of grace. God, I ask now that you would stir up our hearts for Jesus, stir up our affections for him. Help for us to live lives that display the grace that we've received. Or that we would look at those who are condemned, we'd put our arm around them, and we'd offer them hope in the gospel. Lord, change us today. We desperately need your help. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.